everyone, and welcome to the Black Dog Institute's eMental Health in Practice podcast for healthcare professionals, where we discuss topics relating to mental health and relevant eMental health tools and programs that can assist practitioners in providing care. I'm Phoebe Holdenson Kimura, a GP with an interest in mental health. This podcast was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal people, and I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, their elders past, present, and emerging. This podcast is a distillation of some of the important information from webinar 63 on the topic of using social and emotional wellbeing tools with First Nations people. We had three fantastic panelists with us, all from the WellMob team. Dave Edwards is a Waramai man who is the director of WellMob based at the University Centre for Rural Health. Angela Sheridan is a Wiradjuri woman who is a grassroots community member working in the Indigenous social and emotional wellbeing space and is a project officer at WellMob. Dr. Mim Weber is a social worker with experience in mental health policy, programs and training. In this podcast, we discuss what is really meant by social and emotional wellbeing, how social and emotional wellbeing can inform clinical or community work with First Nations people, what WellMob is and how to find and effectively use social and emotional wellbeing resources both in and out of session. Welcome to webinar 63 in the series uh, on the topic of using social and emotional well-being tools with First Nations people. I'd like to now invite uh, David Edwards, who's one of our panelists tonight, um, to uh, say the acknowledgement of country. Well, thanks, uh, Phoebe, and hello, everyone. I'm David Edwards. Uh, I'm a Warramai man. My people are from the Karoo River. Um, and I'm zooming in today from Widjibal Weibel country in Lismore, northern New South Wales. And I'd like to uh, acknowledge country in my traditional Gatang language of the Waramai people that was given to me by my uncle Stephen Brereton. So, Weibul Guji Yugul, Nyatanyanan Marung Baregul, Nyatanyanan Marung Dangai Gaugul, Wanyimbu Wanyimbu Ganyila, Wanyimbu Wanyimbu Ganyi, Nirumbaba Parai, Gatai Nirun Ginyi. Uh, quick translation, I was saying hello, welcome everybody. I was paying respect to the land, to country and to the ancestors and that country always was and always will be our country and that let us uh, enjoy this space together. Thanks very much, Phoebe. Beautiful. Thanks, Dave. So some of you might have heard of WellMob before. Uh, that's the e-mental health in practice that is uh, dedicated specifically to resources for First Nations people. Uh, and so we're going to really be taking a deep dive into, into those resources, but also um, an overarching framework to think about the use of those resources. So, Ange, would you be able to start us off by walking us through what exactly do we mean when we're talking about social and emotional well-being? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Phoebe. So I guess the term mental health can be challenging for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, as it's often can be linked to stigma or negative attitudes and beliefs about mental ill health. So social and emotional well-being is the term that's used to describe our overall well-being, and it's holistic in its concept. Um, it's more than just mental health in the way that it accounts for all of our connections in the world around us. Ourself, our community, country, culture and kinship systems are interconnected and aren't separate from self. So the image that you're seeing on the screen is the social and emotional wellbeing wheel. And as you can see, self is in the centre and it's surrounded by the seven domains of connections, acknowledging that these connections to country, culture, community, family, kinship, 
mind, body, and spirit, spirituality, and ancestors, they're all interconnected to self. In the circle outside that, you'll see some of the historical and social determinants of health. So social includes things like employment, housing, education, uh, historical, which includes the legacies of colonization, the disruption of our traditional ways of life and dispossession of land, family and community languages, and the forced removal of children from families, as well as present day factors such as racism and discrimination. The political domain refers to the importance of human rights for all peoples and to self-determination, sovereignty and social justice. And finally, cultural determinant is a perspective that finds solutions in stronger connections of community culture and country. So this social emotional well-being model uh, recognises that these past practices continue to have impacts on today's First Nations people in the areas of education, employment, income and accesses to service, including health and mental health and well-being. And that's, you know, the area that we all work so hard in to close that gap of. Um, however, only looking at those domains without the broader context of the social, historical and political and cultural factors uh, can lead to, um, sorry, and under, like knowing what they are and understanding this concept of social and emotional well-being and how they work together, um, without that understanding, it can lead to a misleading understanding of what's happening for someone who may be presenting to you with a, a mental health issue. So the main difference between social and emotional well-being and mainstream mental health is the holistic concept that social and emotional well-being has and that it isn't just issue or symptom focused. How we understand this difference and the concept of social emotional well-being really helps to address the complex and interrelated determinants of health by taking into account those cultural aspects, which is one of the main differences in this wheel of well-being, which are really important to how we might, how we as Indigenous people might keep ourselves feeling really well and strong. Essentially, the way that I break it down is uh, that the middle circle of self is all the things, and then the circle outside of that is all the things that keep us feeling well and strong, those strong connections. And then the outer circle of the social and historical and political determinants, they're the things in our world and our life that can disrupt those strong connections. And we've seen that historically. It can lead to poorer social and emotional well-being within our mob. And the WellMob website has been designed in alignment with this model of the seven domains. Uh, we reflect those in our main topic tiles of mind, body, culture, keeping safe, our mob and healing. And healing is the goal I think that we all aim for. Fantastic. Thanks, Angela, so much for talking us through that. And I think, you know, we're all familiar with the idea of the social determinants of health, but I think this captures a bit more than that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think it takes into account, as I said, like the cultural aspects that Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people have, and that's where our strengths are based in those connections. I think it. I think it also takes into account all those um, uh, political determinants. As and Ange did a wonderful job to describe how all those domains of well-being are connected and relational for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and how they're influenced by historical, social, cultural and political determinants. And I thought it was really important to acknowledge that a recent political determinant, the Voice for Parliament referendum, not wanting to debate the pros and cons of the, the actual uh, Voice for Parliament, but the actual impact on First Nations people in this country has been pretty high and there has been a lot of um, 
incidences of racism and discrimination, which is really important for practitioners and clinicians to um, be aware of when they uh, have First Nations patients and clients and possibly some of the additional stress that's been experienced by people in a community setting. Mm-hmm. So those historical and political determinants aren't necessarily things in the past, but they're continuing to play out and uh, even now. So for somebody like me, who's a non-Indigenous health worker, you know, somebody like me is wanting to learn more about social emotional well-being. Uh, um, Mim, could you tell us a little bit about um, this welcome guide on social emotional well-being? Sure, be happy to. Um, look, there, as Ange said earlier, there are a number of uh, resources on our website which explain the meaning of social and emotional well-being and uh, there are some shortcuts which we'll refer to later about how you might access some of those resources. As a non-Indigenous worker, this is one of my favourites. Uh, I think the videos are brilliant um, in terms of understanding the background to it, but uh, this one was really one of my favourites. And although it says it's a welcome guide for the Aboriginal workforce, uh, I think it's particularly useful for non-Indigenous workers. Uh, and the, uh, it relates directly to the social and emotional wellbeing wheel that Ange uh, explained so well. And what they've got in this particular manual is a table which has taken those connections from the wheel uh, and described what they mean by that and then identified, well, if we're looking at that, what might be some of the positive or protective factors? So, for instance, if we're thinking about the person who we're working with, what's their sense of belonging? Uh, Do they practice mindfulness? Have they access support to manage uh, any stress that they might be experiencing or have they found ways of overcoming the trauma that they might have experienced? Uh, or other, or have they found ways of recovering from mental health illnesses? So that's they're very individual things. But then there are also the the bigger things which become very protective. And so those of you who may, some of you may remember about the national apology, and that actually had a really positive impact at that particular time. And in more recent times, there's been a lot of conversation about truth telling and treaty. And so if those things actually come to being, if they're well handled. Uh, then they're going to be incredibly influential around positive and protective factors for people. If you then go a little bit further along in the in this table, then there's also the factors that might be challenging or creating a risk. And so some of those are threats to safety, uh, social disadvantage, intergenerational trauma, experiences of racism that have been referred to already today. And and what can also happen in the mental health field is misdiagnosis and mislabeling, which can happen so easily for our First Nations people uh, when their bigger holistic uh, domains that we were talking about earlier are not actually considered. So what's really nice in this particular manual is that it has all of the connections. So this one was connections to mind and emotions, but there's also the other connections. And as a non-Indigenous worker, the way I would use that is to, uh, when I'm reflecting on the work that I'm doing with that person, I might be running through that and just thinking, have I understood enough about what's going on for that person? It doesn't mean that you have to thoroughly uh, inquire into absolutely all of those domains, but you use your professional judgment about um, what might be missing, what do I need to talk about some more, and they may also then be really good 
conversation prompts uh, for what you might discuss with the person who you're working with. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's a fantastic resource uh, for all of that. Mm, that's fantastic. Thanks so much, Mim. I mean, I'm just thinking of myself as somebody who is medically trained and we've got a certain way that we're, you know, trained to take a history and it, you know, you're meant to start with history of presenting complaint and then, you know, all this. And I just mm. think this is such a different way of thinking about building a history with somebody. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's it's interesting to think that it is some, It is a framework that you have there in the back of your mind that is actually informing the way that your conversation's playing out. Yeah, mm. that's good. Really yeah, good. that's right. Yeah. And really, I mean, I remember from a long time ago uh, learning that as a practitioner, what you look for is what you find. So if you're looking for deficits, if you're looking for um, clinical deficits, yeah. you'll find them. But if you're actually taking this framework uh, in in your mind and you're looking for what are the positive and protective factors from that holistic uh, social and emotional well-being perspective, that's what you'll find. And the same with the, the risk factors. Mm. Um, and what what's it like then for clients or or um, or patients, I guess, when when we take more of this type of approach? Uh, how does it make a difference? Do you think? Uh, well, I I would imagine that I, I can see that Angela's un, unmuted, so she might yes, have that's good. Angela come in and she'll speak from the heart around that. But um, it's very much about this is what people's lives are about. So rather than this being a clinical, professional, cold Western uh, approach, uh, this is really about getting to understand what's going on for that person. Ange, what do you want to say? Oh, well, lived experience. I've experienced both sides of the coin. I've had, you know, wonderful clinicians who have actually really deeply listened to my story and they've been able to pick out all these bits that at the time I wasn't aware of myself because that's what they're familiar with this holistic concept and they're picking out those little connections that I might have, whether they be strong or need some strengthening. And then I've had um, when I was a lot younger and it turned me off re-engaging, you know, with counselling or psychologists or anything like that because I was met by brick walls when I'd talk about my disconnection from, you know, culture within my family history. There was just no understanding and I felt really, like, invalidated and, like, why am I going to talk to you if you've got zero understanding of what even that basic concept might, you know, feel like for me? So, um, but then, you know, back to the other side of the coin, feeling valued, you know, valued and validated and heard and connected on a, like feeling human rather mm. than just a, you know, little clinical type box with that you tick, you know, all those things. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like it's, it's much more connecting on that human to human level. Yeah. And it's yeah. deeply impactful you know, for more when you're able to connect in that way. And it might be, you know, slightly different um, tailored approach to what you might do for other patients, but taking that time for deep listening, it really, um, you know, speaks volumes just, you know, building that rapport and being able to open up some of these tough conversations and finding insights in those stories that uh, your client's telling you. Mm-hmm. And what I heard both you and Mim touch on a little bit was this idea of having a strength-based approach and really drawing out those stories of of, of what's keeping you strong. Mm. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll come to, we'll talk a little bit further about the strength-based approach and some of the resources that we have that can uh, support workers to really dive into that a little bit further. Uh, but yeah, if yes, if um, the social and emotional well-being framework is very much, it's not only holistic, but it's also strength-based. Um, and, and that's fantastic. It's fantastic for anybody, whether you're Indigenous or not. Um, but it's particularly relevant for our First Nations people mm. because it fits mm. with their whole way of being. So what we often do in these webinars is talk about um, a particular patient or client as a case scenario just to help us imagine what it might look like um, to be uh, providing care for somebody uh, and, and also to to start thinking about how to apply some of these principles that we've just been hearing about. Um, so let's meet Uncle Fred. Uh, um, imagine that we're working um, as a non-Indigenous health worker in an Aboriginal medical service somewhere in Australia. Uh, and Uncle Fred um, is a 60-year-old elder who's been coming to the service for quite a long time um, and has really good relationship with the Aboriginal health worker, but doesn't really need seem to need to see um, the nurse or the doctor very frequently. And he's certainly never come to talk to us before about anything um, in terms of mental health. Uh, but he comes in today um, wanting to discuss how he's been feeling recently. Um, he says he's not sleeping very well um, and he's got no appetite, which is really unusual for him because he really enjoys his food usually. He's been finding it harder to get up and go to work and, you know, get excited about the day ahead for him and he's also lost hope for the future so looking forward as well there has been quite a bit of conflict in his family recently and he's been involved a little bit in, in trying to mediate things and he feels very much caught in the middle which has been causing him a lot of stress he says that he's stressed all the time he teaches culture at a local school, uh, which he really enjoys. So he's coming today because he gets this sense that he really does need help, but he's not really sure exactly what sort of help he's looking for. And he's very clear in his own mind that he doesn't want to go on any medication. Um, so I'm going to ask the panel, you know, what, what speaks to you when you hear about Uncle Fred's story? Or what are, you, what are your concerns or thoughts? As a non-Indigenous worker, uh, one of the big things for me would be I need to find a way of actually connecting with Uncle Fred. And there could be a number of different ways that I could do that. But certainly as a non-Indigenous female, I would want to have a conversation with him to say, how are you feeling about working with me? Is that comfortable with you? What do, if not, uh, are there some other things that we could do that would make that more comfortable, including potentially uh, would he like to have the Aboriginal health worker in on the conversation? Uh, that would be an option and that's entirely up to him. If I'm listening to what he's been telling me, then I also realise that, uh, that some of what he's describing sounds a bit like depression. Uh, and he may or may not know much about depression. And I know that on WellMob we have this great little two-minute video, uh, which I think explains depression really well. Uh, and so what I might then say to him is exactly that. There's a little uh, uh, video that we've got, which is, explains it really well. And we could watch it together. Would he be interested in that? And just to see whether what the video says is 
something that he identifies with. And you could then watch that together. And one of the advantages of that is you're looking at the screen together. So there's not that intensive, you know, looking at each other kind of thing, uh, which I think is always helpful. Um, and then we could actually ask him, uh, so what you've heard, is, do you relate to any of that? Um, when might some of those things come up more? When are they around less? Um, and so we actually get to get a, a much better sense of what's going on for him. The fact that it's a video and that it also talks about, uh, it explains what depression is, uh, means that he's not the only one who's experiencing depression and that may make him feel a little bit less isolated and alone. Um, and then if he likes the video, it's also something that he can show his family members uh, as a way of starting a conversation around something that he might otherwise feel a bit awkward about. Different resources, it's horses for courses, so different resources are going to work well. So this might be fantastic for Uncle Fred. It may not be so good for a 20-year-old. Um, uh, we have other resources uh, on WellMob uh, where people, uh, well-known um, Aboriginal people, talk about their own experiences of uh, depression, for instance, or other mental health issues, uh, and they will explain what that is, but then they will also talk about their recovery journey from that. And quite often that means, well, usually it means some form of connection with culture, but it also means connecting with others. Uh, and so that people take steps not to be so isolated. And that can be quite inspiring um, for a younger person, perhaps, who who may admire somebody like that. Um, do you want to and say a, something about that? Yeah, Dan? just a, a great example of that is um, Brother Joe Williams, a Wiradjuri man that is a Australian national boxing champion and an NRL player. He shared uh, a lot of his story in video content uh, around his um, battle with depression, drugs and alcohol, and then later his diagnosis with bipolar disorder. And just listening to someone like Joe talk about and share his experience, I think gives, as Mim said, inspiration for other people to look into any issues they might have around that. And um, But also draw inspiration from his connection to culture and how that might be an uh, important part of their healing journey. And there are also things like fact sheets. So some people who might be um, more oriented in that way may appreciate reading something and being able to take something back with them. So there are a variety of resources. Uh, and a little bit later on, when we talk about the resource sheets, there are a, a number of our better ones that people can dive into and, and get a quick uh, idea about what some of the best ones are. Mm. I, th I thought it was worth mentioning too, a, a bit of a shout out to the uh, Catherine, Rest, um, Catherine West uh, Health Board for producing these little videos, like they're little two-minute videos and they're part of a mental health animation series that's on WellMob. And if you Googled um, uh, uh, depression just in the search engine on uh well, Mob, you'd probably find this video pretty quickly. And the other animations uh, are on things like um, anxiety, psychosis, and also a bit of a strength-based video on staying strong uh, in times of uh, challenge. So really good resource to check out and use in your uh, practice. So what I'm hearing then is that um, whether it's videos or fact sheets or a worksheet that you're using together, that can diffuse the intensity of an otherwise um, of a consultation that could be 
quite full on. Is that mm. is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And it's like you're putting the, the issue out there and you're having a conversation about it out there rather than in here. Um, although obviously the in here comes out there, but it's it's another way of actually looking at it uh, in the old narrative therapy ways. You'd be talking about externalizing it, putting yeah, it out there. Yeah. Um, so that's another way of describing that. But uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. It's how interesting really, as opposed to that sort of question and answer type format. Exactly. Yeah. Most, yeah. Um, and and literally it. looking at it out there because you've got something out in front of you to look at, which I think can be helpful. I, th- I think it's particularly helpful um, Mim, when, you know, there is a lot of stigma and what we call shame around talking about mental health issues and where you've got that third party resource, it can really destigmatize an issue and, and in some way normalize it. So I think it's a really healthy and practical tool uh, to use in session. So uh, one of the things you talked about, Mim, just then was perhaps using um, some written material or some uh, something paper-based. Um, so. Um, maybe we can imagine that um, we've shown this, we've watched this video together with Uncle Fred. He's found it useful and we've talked about a few other things, but uh, he's come back for a second uh, visit uh, and um, you've, you've asked him whether he might want to do a bit of work on some strength-based stuff. Um, or yeah. even or even in the first session, yeah, sure. <laughs> you may have identified some of what's going on for him uh, and then you don't just want to leave him immersed in the problems. Mm. You actually also want to get a sense of, um, well, who else is he other than this experience of depression? And we know that he teaches culture um, in school. We don't know how he feels about that. Um, we shouldn't assume that that's a good thing for him, but it would be something to ask about. Uh, and this particular resource called the Stronger You Wheel is, again, you'll see that it's very much connected to the social and emotional wellbeing framework, that wheel. Uh, and, again, it's something to look at and something that some people can take away, but it actually asks questions about uh, what they see in in the particular aspects of the wheel. And so what are the things that will will give them some strength? And I would be wanting to ask uh, whether in the past they've been through some difficult times, given that he's 60, I'd be guessing he's had a few tough times already that he's worked through. Um, and so what has he done in the past to be able to do that? What has what has he found that's been really useful? Um, and um, is he using some of that now? Um, so it's a way of then asking questions and reminding him of the other aspects of who he is and bringing that forward much more. So being able to uh, identify and elaborate on what are the things that actually make him feel strong uh, and that have helped him in the past. Mm-hmm. It might be worth mentioning too, Phoebe, that that uh, Stronger You Will is part of the uh, Take a Step um, webpage on uh, that's been developed by Headspace. So a big uh, credit to Headspace for this content, which includes some great little short videos that are about, you know, um, strong culture, strong identity, um, strong body, like things that are real strength-based narratives that young people particularly can tap into to get inspiration to uh, keep themselves strong. And another great resource that um, we'll put up in the chat that's more of a step-by-step goal-setting tool that all sorts of health workers can use, not just counsellors and psychologists. Um, But it's basically an app and it's free from Menzies School of Health Research called Stay Strong. And it's got a great four-step process of identifying what keeps you strong, 
who keeps you strong, what are some of your worries, and what are some of your um, goals to address those worries. So a really good step-by-step process to do over a number of sessions. And I've heard Aboriginal Medical Services um, using it as an intake assessment tool. So a very practical resource. So have a look out for the Stay Strong app. One of the dominant features of depression is that low self-esteem, isn't it? Um, and so these concepts of, well, what's been keeping you strong and when when have you, you know, dealt with other hard things in your life, that may not come to Uncle Fred naturally in the place that he is right now, but then to facilitate that conversation with him together, um, I can see how that might really help him, as you said, Mim, to reconnect with that old self of his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, if if that doesn't work, there may be people you could bring into the room who he knows, who know him well, and who can talk about that. And it could even be the Aboriginal health worker who's working there. If he's seen the Aboriginal health worker and and he knows him, he or she knows him quite well, uh, then it, that you could ask Uncle Fred if if that would make a difference. That might help, or it might be. Um, somebody else like his brother or sister or somebody else that you could actually invite into the room and um, ask those same kind of questions because mm. it, it will be there. But as you say, Phoebe, absolutely correctly, when you're when you're immersed in depression, it's really hard to see beyond that. So you may need some help in a variety of ways. Mm. And that's the beauty of um, a great AMS, isn't it, is that it's a very team-based approach to care. Uh, and um, and we know that Uncle Fred's got a long-standing relationship with um, the Aboriginal health worker. So I can imagine that, you know, the, that health worker might even be able to um, uh, draw on their own experience with Uncle Fred. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Um, so we've now talked about a number of um, digital mental health uh, resources that we can be using with our First Nations people. Um, but I think it, it is worthwhile us also just having a think through, well, what are the principles to using digital you know, resources well and safely? Um, Dave, could you walk us through those principles for, for us? Yeah, thanks, Phoebe. Um, I think Black Dog Institute of, and under the MPRAC uh, uh, community of practice have done some great work on that implementation science of using digital mental health interventions and in work. But just to break it down very quickly, um, if you're in a client-centered role and a one-on-one consult situation, there's a few key steps you can go through um, in using a digital resource with your client. The first uh, first thing is just to ask, you know, don't assume that people are across technology, that they like looking at screens, including your monitor on your desk. Um, have a just general discussion of if they do are comfortable at looking at um, online resources. And, you know, if they do have a smartphone and a lot of our communities phone ownership might be at the family level um, in rural remote areas, there might not be Wi-Fi access. So it's really important to understand just how useful uh, technology or a digital resource might be in, in uh, any instance. Um, also just important to recognize that Schools weren't necessarily a safe place for our community uh, right up until about 30 or 40 years ago, and, and there's still some ongoing barriers there. So literacy levels can be lower. So often, um, you know, things that are in sort of scientific or, or practitioner speak may not be great. So always looking at health literacy and, and looking at sort of plain language resources is important. Um, secondly, just try and match the resource, uh, as Mim said before, like horses for courses. Um, 
our young people are pretty tech savvy and and they're right into you know the video um, and multimedia space so anything on YouTube is is often pretty um, accessible for our uh, young people there's some great um, activity based resources for young people some really good resources around vaping that have just come out uh, one that's basically a, a, an activity booklet that draws out all the detail in a vaping and e-cigarette fact sheet that was produced by the Kimberley Aboriginal Medical Service and puts it in a, um, a, a crossword and some, some simple question and answer after they pre-digest some content <laughs> around vaping and e-cigarettes. So a sort of a, a educative way to learn about the impacts of vaping. So that's a great uh, resource for young people, given we know vaping and e-cigarettes are very popular amongst our tweens and teens. Um, Someone like Uncle Fred, he might actually gravitate towards a fact sheet a bit more, you know, something he can take home with him and digest in his own time. So printouts are still uh, gold in, in a lot of areas. Uh, I mentioned the Stay Strong app. You know, that's something I would recommend that a practitioner would use with an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander client rather than get the client to self-complete. But there is some other uh, interesting self-help and self-management apps out there. So really important to understand, you know, if they're across using apps, et cetera. Um, and the, the last step there is really about trying to use or get familiar with the resource yourself before you share it with your uh, patients and clients. And in the context of a, a consult, I think it's, it's great to uh, have a look at it, even if you don't have a full time, you know, if, particularly our GPs, we know they might have a four to seven minute consult and they might not even have time to look at a two minute video. But if they can start watching it and go, hey, this looks really good, I you know, wouldn't mind you if you if you had a look at this, I'm going to um, send it to you, a link to you via email. And the good thing about the WellMob website is it does, once you get down to the resource page, which has a little um, email icon in the top right-hand corner, you can click on it and share it and just put in their email address if they've got an email and then send it to them and they might be able to have a look at it in their own time and come back and discuss the, uh, the issue. Um, and finally, I guess we're all aware of reflective practice and you know, evaluating how the client went with the resource is really important to understand what works and what doesn't. But just checking them next, uh, with them next time just to see if it did work and if it didn't, why, and then decide on maybe an, another tool to use with them that might match the situation or that particular client. Um, there's some really good other tips uh, in using digital and online resources with your clients. If you go to the WellMob landing page, if you go under the six main topic tiles, these three video tiles, uh, one's about the introduction to WellMob, another's about um, navigating the website and gives you some tips about how to do that. And the third one is called Tips for Workers, which has a, a lot of useful information about how you can apply online tools in your consult. So have a look at those. They're only about two to three minutes maximum. Yeah, no, no, that's fantastic. I'm curious to know, I mean, Ange said earlier on that depression can be um, a not-so-helpful term um, or um, language to use. Um, what what are some of the ways that we can be more conscious about the way that we use language? I mean, I think Dave said um, to avoid that very clinical um you know, medical language, which um, I think we could be doing with everybody um, because uh, it just alienates people in general. But perhaps, Ange, I mean, do you have any tips for how how we help people make sense of their experiences? Yeah, so um, if you click on the WellMob website and you click on the mind tile, you'll see that we've used words on the website that 
are um, familiar to communities. So we've used words like worries for mm-hmm. depression and anxiety. A common term that we use is feeling no good. You just feel no good and you've been feeling no good for a while. So they're the kind of, um, I guess, really sort of plain language ways that we would describe depression. And I think it would also be really helpful to use the clinical term as well. So like, you know, saying to your client or patient, you know, I hear you've been feeling no good for a little while. You know, do you think it might be depression? Let's watch this video Mm -hmm. and find out what depression's about. And then they're able to draw that conclusion because we know that, you know, labeling something really does destigmatize to it. And it then puts, empowers, you know, the person experiencing it because you can then go to the next steps, right? Well, I've got this, this is a name for it. And this is how I can actually, you know, help make myself feel better by taking these steps. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. That's really helpful. Uh, Dave, it looks like you've got something you wanted to add. I, th- I think it's also important to acknowledge some of the cultural differences with um, First Nations Australian compared to non-Indigenous um, Australians. And, you know, sorry business around funerals and deaths in the community is really important business for us. Like our mob will travel um, from across the country to be with family and community during sorry business. And that can be a time where grief and loss is really at its uh, most acute and, um, you know, often um, lasts a bit longer than maybe traditional funerals and wakes might happen for non-Indigenous Australians. So just being aware, I think, of some of those differences and how important those events are for us to, uh, which culturally are about celebrating the person uh, journey into the, the afterlife and to um, going back into country. So really significant times uh, in our lives and, and that can present as someone being depressed or sad or sorry. No, thanks. That That's really helpful. Um... Uh, so as I finish up, I'd like to really thank our three panellists, uh, Dave, Angela and Mim, uh, for all the hard work you put into preparing for this webinar, uh, but also for sharing so honestly your experience and your expertise. So really appreciate that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining tonight and I look forward to seeing you next time. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast on using social and emotional well-being tools with First Nations people. A big thank you to David, Angela and Mim for sharing your depth of expertise and experience with us. All the resources and services that we've discussed are available via the Black Dog Institute website in the Health Professional Resource and Education Hub under the webinar 63. Thank you so much for listening today. Until next time. Bye. Bye.